I believe in the power of scripture. I believe that there are two types of sermons. There are sermons that help Christ find you. And there are sermons that help you follow after Christ. And then there are sometimes a sermon where it is almost a little of both. Where somehow you experience the text maybe in a new way. You experience what life in the kingdom of God is truly all about. You experience really the kind of prophetic revelation, the power at which Jesus spoke. And I'm telling you, I I got a call from a friend of mine that he's been, he's been doing the reading plan one chapter a week and he and his buddy they, they've been reading, and, and he called me, and he was, he was hot. He was frustrated. He just said, man, I, I don't understand Luke 19. It's bothering me. And I said, well, that's wild, because I'm going to preach on that. Uh, a couple weeks earlier, I was with a, a group of men. They're, they're, uh, it's known as the frat. They meet on Thursday nights, but um, it's a little bit like Fight Club. I don't understand it fully. Um, but they're amazing guys, and they are just all about honesty. But Wednesday mornings, they get up super early, and, and they meet at this, this little breakfast joint. And I went, and they were reading through Luke 19, and they were like, man, there's got to be more here. And so I'm excited because if you will walk with me I want to help you see Luke 19 with ancient Near East eyes. I've heard passages like Luke 19 preached before and something didn't sit well with me because I'm like, man, there's got to be more here. And I called some scholars. I did some research and I I began to understand, man, this passage is just alive. So what we're going to do is we're going to basically walk through all of Luke 19. We'll be here till 345. no, we'll, we'll get out on time. But, but my hope is that you will discover the text afresh. In Luke 19, verse 1, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, uh, anyone ever been to Jericho? Show of hands. Okay, yeah. Jericho is an awesome space. It's about 18 miles from Jerusalem. Um, there's a bunch of date farms there. It's, it's kind of a cool, um, resorty-ish kind of space, even during the days of Jesus. It, it was kind of a sanctuary of sorts for people to get away from the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. 10,000 priests, the scholar and historian Josephus says, actually lived in Jericho, and they would make that walk to Jerusalem when they had to serve in the temple. And now we are introduced to Jesus making his way through Jericho, and he encounters a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus in Hebrew means pure and untainted one. But the problem is, is he's a tax collector, and he's wealthy. And to be a tax collector means he works for the empire. To be a tax collector means you take, you extort, you provide for the empire, repeat. Every single day you enter into people's homes and you take, you extort, you provide for the empire, and you have no friends. You probably have security guards because you are hated. 
You are despised. You are not considered pure and untainted. You are disgusting. And to the rabbis and to the Jewish people, you were someone that was almost like a Samaritan. You were someone who had committed treason against your own people. I could not stand you. And this is Luke writing about Zacchaeus. It continues on, verse 3. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So you get the picture of all these crowds. And, and if you ever went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he couldn't see, so he climbed a tree. It all rhymes. And, and this is what he did. He, he begins to see Jesus as Jesus is making his way. And, and this rabbi, Jesus, I mean, people knew him. People had heard about what he had done, his teachings, his healings. People wanted to get close to see this rabbi. And because Zacchaeus was hated and had no friends and was short, he climbs a tree. It continues on. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. But hear this. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They can't understand how the actual pure one is going to stay with the actual tainted one. It doesn't make sense to the religious leaders. It doesn't make sense to the crowds. It doesn't make sense that a rabbi would see Zacchaeus in this tree and say, come down. I need to stay at your house. Because 10,000 priests live in Jericho. He could have stayed with the holy people if he wanted to. But he chooses this guy. This is how our Jesus functions. Looking, searching, seeking. It continues on. And this is this. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And in verse 8. And nine, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And most times when I hear a sermon on Zacchaeus, it just ends right there. It's an amazing, profound moment of Jesus seeing him up in a tree and this man making his way down. And he can't believe that a rabbi wants to stay with him and that he actually sees him and in response to the radical hospitality of this rabbi, he declares that he will pay back four times what he has cheated his people. The redistributive justice in this moment is profound. And Jesus says, look, salvation has come. And, he, and, he, and he's just so moving. But you know the question I really have? So what happens tomorrow? Does Zacchaeus go back to working for the empire to take, extort, provide for the empire? Repeat. I mean, he just had this moment of like, oh my goodness, I will never be the same. I went from 
pure to impure to being around Christ to pure. And I had this moment of salvation. Does he now go back to work for Rome? Taking and extorting from his own people? This is the question I wonder. And right from this moment, Jesus tells a parable that is often misinterpreted. And if you'll just bear with me, I'm going to take you back into some history. But before I dive into this parable, I have to show you this man, King Herod. Now, many of you know King Herod. He ruled from, I think, 37 B.C. to just after Jesus was born. But King Herod, he was the greatest architect in Israel. And Israel is ever known. I mean, you go to the temple and you go six, seven stories deep and you will see perfectly cut stones. He created aqueducts that moved up mountains. He moved mountains. He created palaces. I mean, this guy was unbelievable when it came to being a builder. But as a father and as a leader, he was profoundly scared. So much so that he killed his eldest three sons, believing that the three of them were trying to kill him and take his kingdom. He was so scared when he heard from three wise men that about a new baby being born in Bethlehem that he lost his ever-loving mind and de- declared a genocide. I mean, this, this, this man was not very good. And if you actually look at his family tree, you'll see on this side, Antipater, Alexander, Aristobulus, those were the three he killed. Herod actually died of like gangrene and like stomach issues. His next four sons now were given the task to actually lead. Now before Herod died, One of his sons, who had kind of risen to be his favorite, his name is Archelaus. Archelaus decreed that when his father died, that he took 3,000 Jewish men, brought them to the Temple Mount, and slaughtered them to ensure that there was mourning when his dad died. Archelaus, just like his dad, not a good dude. And if you think about Archelaus and you're like, I kind of remember that name in Matthew chapter 2. If you remember when Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus and they escaped because of the genocide, they escaped to Egypt. They were there for a while. And Joseph and Mary, they're from Bethlehem. And the, 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 the job is then to return to Bethlehem to actually grow this child up. But look what the scriptures say. Verse 21, chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. So he, being Joseph, got up, took the child, being Jesus, and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. This is when they were in Egypt. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So they went to Nazareth. Now, why do I tell you all this? Because Archelaus went after his father dies, and he goes to meet with Augustus, the Caesar of, and the most powerful person of that day in Rome. And he goes and says, it was my father's wish that I should be named king. 
He was King Herod. I will be King Herod too. I will follow in his footsteps. I will lead. I will ensure that everything that my father did and every way that he paid you, I will do likewise. What Archelaus didn't know, and historians write about this, is that 50 countrymen from Israel went to Rome on their own dime. They show up too and they beg Augustus, please do not make Archelaus king. He is just like his dad. He is vicious and violent. He is a bad, bad man. And Augustus sides with the people. And so instead of making Archelaus king over all of Israel, he begins to split up Israel into these domains. Now, that kind of fluorescent yellowish green color that became all of Archelaus's. So Samaria, Judea, and Idumea. You see Jericho right there. And you also see right beside uh, Jericho is a town called Archelaus. That was where Archelaus lived. He created this massive compound. It was his place to retreat to. And all of the other siblings got smaller little kingdoms. Why do I tell you this? Because Jesus tells a parable. And sometimes what we do is we sometimes split the stories because the NIV or NLT or whatever Bible that you read, they've done this. They've kind of like broken it up. But you have to remember when these were told, there were no verses, there were no chapters, there were no subtitles. It just was, here it is. And this story led right into this parable that is often misinterpreted. Knowing what you know about Archelaus, see if you can see what Jesus is doing. While they were still listening to him, so it's connected to the Zacchaeus story, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now a mina equals 100 days wages. You might have heard the phrase drachma. Drachma was one day's wages. So a mina was 100 drachma. So he gives them out one of these. Continues on. It says this. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. So a thousand days wages. It continues on. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 more cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. 
His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 cities. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then this verse, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And that's how the parable ends. You ever read a passage you're like, that does not sound like Jesus. But what's he doing? In this moment, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, shortly after this profound encounter where you have salvation entering into the life blood of Zacchaeus, is beginning to ask Zacchaeus, what's going to happen tomorrow, man? Because you know what the Roman Empire is. The Roman Empire is giving you cities. And are you going to go back to taking, extorting, and providing for the empire. I've heard preachers teach that this was Jesus speaking about himself, but they don't talk about the context. I don't actually think this is Jesus speaking about himself. I believe that Jesus is speaking about the Roman Empire and speaking about Archelaus and the kind of fear and the kind of power and the kind of desire that the empire had. And in this moment, he's inviting Zacchaeus, are you going to go that way tomorrow? I think that's the question for all of us, right? Because sometimes we come in these moments and we sing these songs and we, we're like, oh man, I, I have this firm foundation. I don't really see it through. We sing these songs about Jesus being this way maker, but then in the midst of profound stress and uncertainty, what often do we return to? The empire. It's Rome, to a louder Caesar in our life that tells us who we are, defines us, gives us power, gives us influence, gives us resources that makes us feel better about ourselves. And Jesus in this moment is trying to help Zacchaeus see, that's not me. And then, and most, most teaching, I've never heard anybody do this before, most teaching will just tell this parable right here but they miss out on what comes next. The next verse. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he went to two of his disciples and saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So if you ever steal a car, just say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> Continues on. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, 
put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. You see what's happening here? Jesus goes to Jericho. He tells this story. After a man has received salvation, the whole story is what happens tomorrow. Are you going to go back to building more empire and more cities and more for some king who, if you ever threaten him, he will finish you? Or will you join me and head to the way of the cross? What's amazing is this really is a conversation of empire versus Palm Sunday. And every single one of us, when we leave this space today to be apprentices and students in Talmudim of Jesus, we have a choice. Will we say it with our words, but actually in our lives when we're under stress, will we go back to the way of the empire or will we actually embody the way of Jesus and carry that cross? What's amazing with the parable is it's a story of a king. If you don't do what he says, the way he says, then he will finish you. And this king named Jesus says, I'm not going to finish you. I'm going to finish death once and for all. The, you see in this story is the quest for every one of us. What happens tomorrow? For some of us, we have these places in our life that has given us identity. It could be from our past. It could be something that we do. It could be some sense of power that we gain, some sense of influence, some sense of right. But, but you actually, when you really look at it with kingdom eyes, it's empire. It's not the way of Jesus. It's based in fear or shame and judgment or hate or division. It's, it's not centered on grace and peace and love and the way of Jesus. For so many of us, 
And just like the Hebrew nation, as they crossed over the Red Sea, they had been freed from something. They just didn't know how to live freed to something. And I think that's for many of us. We don't actually know how to live in our freedom. So what often what we do is whenever we go back to the empire or we go back to the past or we go back to the flesh or we go back to those choices or we go back to curry some sense of importance or we go back, it's some sense we know within us, but then we just go, thanks be to God for grace. And grace. And then we start going this way until we get pulled back to the empire. Thanks be to God for grace. And I was having a conversation with Diane Corazon and Ray Corazon. They're, they're part of our church. And we went to lunch, and I love free lunch. And um, we're talking, and they, they, they were just amazing. But, but she asked me a question. She asked me a question. She said, if you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's a great line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And really the way that that word fear is, it's really like the reverence and the holiness and the respect and the awe and the wonder of God. When you have that, it's the beginning of some sense of leveling up in your mental aptitude. But she's like, I I find it that for many of us, we forget about this and all we do is hold on to grace. And when you begin to read the book of John, early in the book of John, it says Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. And sometimes we think the truth is just some sense of weapon of like, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible No, no, no. What the truth was, was the reverence that God's presence was here. Like in your home, God is already there. In Elgin, God is already here. In the marketplace, God is already here. In Viator Coffee, God is already here. God is here. And when you begin to recognize that God is here, you begin to recognize that you're standing on holy ground. And when you stand on holy ground, there's this moment where you're like, do I take my shoes off or not? Do I walk with a sense of reverence and respect? to a holy God who is at work to make me whole and holy? Do I walk this journey or do I just, I'm like, ah, man, grace. I just love me some grace. Let's put some grace on it. That's how we live. We don't actually live in this tension of grace and the reverence that God is here. And if you actually walked in the sense and following Jesus on the road to actually die, he invites us to do the same. That when you actually begin to recognize the path of Jesus is that you are dying to all of the empire and all of Rome and all of shame and all of judgment and all of the false idols that are living within you. When you get to that point, when you get to that point and you go, Grace and peace and truth and love and reverence. And I am not going there because I've been freed from and I have been freed too. And as you begin to walk in that, but here's something. And it's a phrase that sometimes gets taken out of context. But hear me say this with like the heart of the text, willful blindness. And sometimes we have this willful blindness to be like, ah, it's not really that bad. 
It's not, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's my money. It's, it's not really that bad. It's just like, it's what I do on the computer. It's not really that bad. It's not really that bad. Like, we, 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 we can excuse it for ourselves, but when we see somebody else do it, man, we got some judgment, don't we? But really what the willful blindness is, is that you're actually seeing the empire in you. You see the way that you look at a brother or a sister. You see the power dynamics at play. You see the injustice. You see the systems that are all around us. And something inside you says, that is not what I want. My job is to help embody heaven invading earth. My job is not to be driven and work for the empire or be driven by power. My job is to follow Christ and to empower. And here's the truth that every one of us have to wrestle with. You will either take, extort, and provide for the empire and put that on repeat in your flesh and your flesh and your choices and your identity and it will lead you in a distractive place or, or, you're not going to take. You're going to receive. And you're not going to extort. You're going to empower. And you're not going to provide for the empire. You're going to experience the promise that is already here. On repeat. And that's what Jesus invites us to. And he walks into the temple. And what does he see? He sees even in the temple empire happening and he loses it because even the house of God had become the empire they're changing money and the people who have come to the tourist attraction that is the temple can't even get in to experience the presence of God. Josephus says, when you heard about the temple, you thought it was incredible. But when you saw it with your own eyes, you left in utter amazement, giving reverence to God. And they couldn't get in. And Jesus says, do you not know my father's house will be a house of prayer for all the nations? And it's not take, and it's not extort, and it's not provide for the empire on repeat. It's receive and empower and experience the promises that are already here. You have been freed from that. You've been freed to this. Now it's your decision. And that's the sermon. That's, that's like Jesus, like, oh, that's it, that's it, that's all, that's it, that's it, that's all I got. There's, I mean, you, you just read Luke 19, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. And, and this is why people were like, oh, my goodness. The God of all creation is for me. The God of all creation is giving me access. And he's like, if you, if you try and stop them, all of creation, even the stones will cry out because they can understand what truth is. The question is, can I? Can we? Hey, before we go, um, I want to just make a couple quick announcements. Um, I'm excited next weekend. We're continuing in this Luke series. Um, and, and we love we love having uh, communicators from our actual church. And so my friend Jackie Glass, who goes to the nine, she's going to be teaching. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that. Yep. Um, and then... 
Another big announcement is, uh, you heard Bithia talk about this on Tuesday the 13th. We're having a family meeting. Uh, if you want to kind of hear what we've been working on, um, I'm excited. God has been doing an amazing thing with our team in both Rockford and Elgin. We're excited just to share that with you. And then, here's the other big announcement. We are in a unique season and situation because our campus pastor, Bria, and Stephen, they're expecting a baby boy. Yes, yes. And Andy, uh, our amazing worship pastor, and, and her husband, Lenny D., uh, who we absolutely love, who they just got a new space. They, um, they are expecting a, a little girl. It's amazing. Um, but we're also just wanting to be very cognizant that um, the majority of our team is going to be welcoming new kids to the family. And, and so we started talking about this, and we said, hey, you know what? We have amazing volunteers. We know that oftentimes in the northwest suburbs, some of you travel during the summer. And so we, what we decided to do is that on the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m., starting on Father's Day, next week it's still two services, but starting on Father's Day for eight weeks, that's nine weeks total, nine weeks total, till August 20, August 13th will be the last one. We'll give you all of that. We're just going to go to a 10 a.m. service. And it's going to be awesome. We are going to be like jammed in here. Um, we're going to have people up in the balcony. But here, here's, here's, the, here's the plan. The plan is for connection. And I really think this is a summer of fun and a summer of connection and us actually getting to know each other. We don't want to burn our volunteers out who are amazing. They are doing such amazing work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we also uh, feel like, hey, this is the one time we can get away with this. So let's try it. Let's try it. So, so there. with that, we just want to make that. You'll see that in the updates. But can you stand? I'd love to give you a benediction before we bounce. If you came to, uh, um, and want to go to Discover, it's going to be right after service in there. But would you put your hands out, and I'd love to give you a blessing. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may you know the empire is within us. There are places we return to that remind us of old stories and old tapes and old identities that are very familiar. And the invitation is to recognize that you've been freed from that and that you've been freed to walk in grace and peace and carry the cross. To not just be someone who puts grace on it, but recognizes that everywhere you go, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and God is already there. That you are standing on holy ground and may you live with grace, but may you live with the reverence and awe and wonder of the Lord and experience Christ and the cruciform life at work in you. Much love, everyone. See you next week. Grace and peace.